I'm very proud of the changes we've made and the, and the difference and the impact we're, we're having. You know, maybe from the road it appears to be a little unconventional, but, uh, you know, when you see that, don't, don't judge that. Pull in the driveway and just say, I have to ask. I, I get that a lot. But I'm also the guy that'll pull into somebody else's yard, you know. I, we're, we're here to share. I'm, I don't have any secrets. Welcome to the 290th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. When Luke and Holly Burglar moved to their farm in southeastern Minnesota's Winona County 17 years ago, they soon realized that decades of tillage had taken its toll in the form of a hard pan at the plow layer, which was producing compacted soils and the inevitable runoff and erosion that comes with it. They attempted to fix the problem with more intensive tillage to no avail. Luke says the vicious cycle they were a part of was akin to chasing their own tails. More tillage produced more compacted soils, which led to more tillage, etc., etc. So the burglars began building their soils biology by planting cover crops, implementing no-till, and rotationally grazing their cow-calf herd. During a recent LSP Soil Health Field Day, it was evident their tail-chasing days are over. Alan Williams, a regenerative ag expert who works with farms all over the world through the consulting group Understanding Ag, led field day participants on a tour of the burglar's fields, providing insights on the best way to monitor how various practices are impacting soil health. At one point, Alan waded into a 20-way mix of cover crops that had been planted 60 days prior. It was a good five feet high and would provide prime grazing for the burglar's cow-calf herd. But Alan was more interested in what it looked like beneath the surface. He spaded up a clump of soil and showed it to the field day participants. The soil was dark, well aggregated, cool to the touch, and moist on an 80-degree day. An adjacent cover crop stand had been bailed up for winter feed after 30 days of growth. A sample grubbed up there showed soil that was crusted, paler, and drier. It was a good illustration of how keeping living roots in the ground for an extra few weeks has tremendous soil health benefits. Another way to monitor the impact of various farming practices is to note the movement of water on the land. During the field day, Luke walked over to a stand of corn bisected by a grassed waterway, a sign that these fields are vulnerable to washing. The burglars have been experimenting with 60-inch corn, a system where instead of planting corn every 30 inches, a gap is left every other row. The seed population is doubled in the existing corn rows to maintain overall productivity of the field. In those uncorned gaps was planted a cover crop mix of brassicas, annual ryegrass, flax, and buckwheat. The extra solar energy reaching the cover crop rows increases the amount of forage available for cattle grazing after corn harvest, all while building soil health. Luke says such a system greatly boosts the potential income off the same patch of ground. And it was clear there were already immediate payoffs to building soil health on this hilly land. The farmer says he used to have to clean thousands of tons of silt out of his low-lying areas after a rain. That's not the case anymore. The land is staying in place, anchored by deep roots and year-round cover. After the field day, Luke talked to me about what he's done to fix their farm's damaged soil and why he doesn't mind it when someone pulls into the driveway full of questions. So we started with a hard pan that was extremely shallow. So just going with what we know was uh, get in there, chisel plow it, try to get it broken up and and it kept moving deeper and we were just chasing our tail and and we tried to rip it and we just kept going uh, the conventional way and until uh, we realized we just we weren't making progress on it 
Lots of erosion, excessive runoff, uh, lots of rock to pick up. Uh, just uh, kind of making a mess and we didn't even know it. So what was some of the first things you tried out there and I guess what, how did you kind of monitor whether you were on the right track a little bit? So rye, rye and uh, sorghums were our first uh, our first tried a few things and uh, when, when dirt quit moving around and some of our heavy rainfalls and we knew we were on the right track and uh, that just uh, that led into more no-till and stuff is, is time is more valuable and, and less trips across the field on a, on a tractor and whatnot if we can do it in, in one or two passes and, and then it, we can produce it cheaper. And you're doing rotational grazing too? How long have you been doing that? So we've been rotational grazing uh, close to 15 years um, but more of an adaptive style grazing here for the last five to six years. Yeah, so explain how that's maybe different for people who aren't familiar with just regular rotation grazing, how adaptive rotation grazing would be different. So with the adaptive grazing, we're looking at moving cows, uh, daily moves, so every 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours, uh, higher stock densities, looking for, for more trample, um, leaving forages behind, and uh, keeping a better armor on our, on our uh, pasture ground. Really, stuff looked really good. I mean... We went out there and we dug up a soil sample, and it's a pretty hot day here today. And it's been you haven't had a good rain in a couple of weeks, but boy, that soil was cool and there was some moisture in there. It looked pretty good. Yeah, I thought it, it looked real good. You know, a little bit of moisture, and I think the thermometer showed 71 degrees. And I, I would guess in the sun today, we're we have to be well over 80. So um, good ground cover goes a long ways. One of the other things we looked at was this over here where you've got. It was actually kind of, I don't think you set this up as an experiment, but it's a good side-by-side -side experiment where you've cover cropped a field where it's the same soil type across the field, but on one, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you, you had it in corn last year, you put in a cover crop in the spring, you cut that for forage and baled it, and like I think about 30 days ago or something like that, and then next, right next to it, it's the same soil type and everything, and it was a similar cover crop mix. You did not cut that. You're, I think you're planning on grazing that later in the fall here. But we, we were, Alan was able to take us through and kind of show the differences in soil, the, the, how the soil's doing just within a 30-day difference. That this one is, has been around since this spring. The other one's just 30 days. Uh, and yet the soil looked, it was, there was some, I think, some pretty significant differences between the two soil types. Can you describe that a little bit? So on ground that we... Uh Pulled the feed crop off and only had a had a 30-day crop on it right now. Noticeable crusting and uh, more plating in the soil and maybe just a touch drier and lighter in color. When we move to the other annual crop that's been in the ground uh, 60 days, uh, darker soil color, more moisture content, and uh, very visible signs of uh, aggregation. So, yeah, what, so what do you learn from that? By taking a feed crop... We maybe take a step back, but, but in context, we also have to stockpile X amount of stored feed mm -hmm. um, to ensure we can, you know, we can feed cows during the winter. Um, you know, Minnesota winters can be challenging and springs can be challenging, and so uh, we just always have to make sure we have enough stored feed available, and it has to come from acres, so every acre has to take its turn in that rotation. Well, and it sounds like you're going to maybe use that as, like you said, a some stockpiled grazing, that t taller stuff that's the older stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, basically, it gives that field a rest. We made one pass on it, planted it, and we'll bring them cows in there probably late October, early November. And uh, that's, uh, 
It's about a 20, uh, 20 species cover crop mix, and, and we're just giving that uh, ground a chance to heal and, and uh, give us everything it can. One thing that strikes me is with having the livestock as part of your system, integrated into your system, it gives you a lot more flexibility as far as, and I think you talked about this a little, if you were just raising corn and beans and you were committed to cover crops, which is a good thing, you would be really restricted to, say, cereal rye or something like that. This gives you a lot more flexibility as far as what you're going to kind of uh, to, do, to build that soil. Absolutely. Uh, I think it lends a lot of flexibility. Diverse annual mixes, warm season mixes, uh, even even cool season, small grain mixes in the spring, uh, as opposed to just doing a, a winter rye or, or something like that. Just the sheer diversity of it with uh, having the opportunity to graze it really helps. We went over and looked at one of your, I don't know if I should call it an experiment, I think it's a bigger than an experiment with the 60-inch corn. So 60-inch corn, um, basically... As opposed to 30-inch rows, we shut off every other row, but take the population from that row and double it up on the one that is planting. So on a 32,000 seed per acre, on a 30-inch row, we're looking for 64,000 in-row population. And when we have the 60-inch rows, we're able to get more sunlight into our canopy. The canopy will remain open, so we have a more viable interseeding, uh, moisture and sunlight-wise. And it allows us to just stockpile so much more biomass when uh, once corn is harvested, uh, bring the cows on for a little higher quality feed come late fall. And plus the diversity of the crop in the soil, the cash crop's not the only thing there. And it uh, really helps uh, to graze without any protein supplementation and whatnot, bringing costs down. Yeah, and I'm sorry, what was it you seeded in there in the corn? So to keep it simple, um, a few different clovers, a few bra different brassicas, and annual ryegrass, uh, some flax and buckwheat uh, are some of the main ingredients. The cornfield is kind of split by a grass waterway, and you were talking about the economics of soil health, and you said it's really hard to put real hard numbers on it, but all you know is you have seen, you, you know what that grass waterway would look like, or what some of your low spots would look like if because you've seen it before you were able to do some of these practices. So I think that's a really valuable lesson there. Yeah, it is, absolutely. Um, Pre-no-till and, and pre-interseeding different things, a um, lot more washing, you know, noticeable silt into the waterway after rains and, and even standing water running down the waterway where it can take several, several inches to even see water uh, running down that waterway now. We're just, we're infiltrating so much. And you said you've moved like, a, what is it, thousands of tons of soil in the past trying to clean it out of the ditches? Yeah, we have uh, re rebuilding some waterways and, and different areas of the farm from many, many years of, of abuse, you know, even before I arrived here. And as we start fixing areas and reclaiming areas, uh, the sheer volume of soil, it, it's almost sickening. So one last thing, I just really respect the fact that you were willing to bring Alan Williams out, who's you know a world-recognized uh, expert in regenerative agriculture, and kind of open up your farm. And you know you made it clear you you haven't accomplished everything you want. You're not doing everything per perfectly, but it is so valuable for farmers like you to show what you're doing out here and to kind of go through both the hits and the misses a little bit. I mean, that must have been something you benefited from maybe when you were looking at some of the stuff and maybe still benefit from when other farms are doing that that kind of thing and, and kind of opening up their operations and showing things warts and all a little bit. Yeah, that's actually part of the reason I agreed to host. Uh, uh, in, in some ways, I was that guy several years ago um, 
looking for a place to go, looking for ideas and people to talk to and build that network. And so uh, to have the opportunity to have somebody like that right on your home turf, I just I couldn't pass it up. And absolutely, you open yourself for for uh, for criticism and, and judgment and other things, but that's okay. I mean, I everybody has their opinions, and and uh, I I know what I'm doing. I, I feel it's right and what I believe in. And uh, to have uh, somebody of the caliber Alan Williams here is just, um, we, I don't know if it'll ever happen again. Yeah. So seize the opportunity. I have fun. I'm, uh, I'm very proud of the changes we've made and the, and the difference and the impact we're, we're having. And uh, albeit, um, you know, maybe from the road, it appears to be a little uh, unconventional. But, uh, you know, when you see that, don't, don't judge that. Pull in the driveway and just say, I have to ask. I, I get that a lot. I probably get that once a month here, believe it or not, uh, through the through the spring, summer, and fall. You know, the guys are brave enough to pull in, but I'm also the guy that'll pull into somebody else's yard, you know. I, we're, we're here to share. I'm, I don't have any secrets. For more on ways to build soil health profitably, Check out the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 290 at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale a Western Minnesota musician for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 